Welcome to episode 153 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, is it okay to skip school and hit the trails? We think so. Josh and our two youngest will share some of the highlights of their trip to the Trinity Alps Wilderness. Then we'll review a clever way to get food from the plate to your mouth. And a few nights on a deflated pad is the inspiration behind today's Backpack Hack of the Week. Then we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from Arnold Bennett. Not Benedict Arnold. Two entirely different people. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. We've been looking forward all year to our annual backpacking trip with our friends. It was planned to be in the Wallawas in the Eagle Cap Wilderness, and it was planned for the third week of September. And a few weeks before the trip, uh, that's when you decided you were going to bail out of this one. Well, then just five days before the trip was to start, I got this email from Steve, our group leader, and he said, "Uh, the forecast for Eagle Cap has changed from rain showers to four to six inches of snow on Monday. That does not excite me. Other suggestions as to where to go would be appreciated. All of the areas I can think of are closed due to fires. So I wrote back and said, well, maybe the Olympics? There's no fires there. But someone wrote back and said, yeah, no fires because it's going to be really wet there next week, too. I started looking at the forecast for that next week, and it was this big storm that was going to come into Washington and Oregon, and it was just going to dump a lot of water or a lot of snow, depending on how high you were. So the Northwest was out, at least for a pleasant backpacking trip. It was out. And we started looking around, and within a day or so, the group made a decision to travel down to Yosemite, It would take about 12 hours to drive down there. They would uh, car camp and do some day hikes at Yosemite, and then the 12 hours of driving to get back up to Oregon. You know how excited I was to see alpine scenery with my backpack on? Yes, I do know how excited you were. You've been talking about it all year, all of last year too, just knowing that we were going to go to the Wallawas and have this beautiful experience, and then it not happening last year, and then not happening this year. It was just like it fed the fire and you became a man with a mission. My mission was to go backpacking somewhere where I could see some great alpine scenery. Now, can you explain a little bit what alpine scenery is? Well, it's like the Alps, I guess. Ah. (laughs) Not that I've been to the Alps. I've sort of been to a different Alps, but we'll get to that in a sec. Alpine scenery to me is when you get really high up in the mountains And you're perhaps above the tree line, or you're up where the trees are thinning out. And there are these skinny trees that grow very, very slowly. They have this beautiful shape to them. You're up above the thick forest of the lower elevations, and you're in this just kind of pristine place. Everything, the the water is amazingly clear. The sky is clear. Everything. It's just amazing. And I haven't been up in alpine scenery for longer than I want. So that was my mission. You're right. 
It's like, I've got to find alpine scenery. Got to get my backpack on. I've got to put on some miles backpacking, be out in the backcountry, away from the crowds, away from the cars, and get up high enough to see alpine lakes and alpine mountains. So one of our listeners on Twitter said, how about the Trinity Alps in Northern California? And I had never considered them before. I didn't even know where they were. So I got on the map and found the Trinity Alps not too far away, about seven hours from where we live. That's better than 12 hours. It means I could make it there in less than a day. So I said, okay, Trinity Alps it is. I went to the Outdoor Project website, and they have a whole bunch of hikes for the Trinity Alps area. I picked the Swift Creek Trail heading up to Horseshoe Lake and Ward Lake. It was about nine miles up to Horseshoe Lake, so that would satisfy my craving for some miles with my backpack on. And it was uh, way up at 7,000 feet elevation. I saw some pictures that definitely looked like alpine scenery to me. So that would satisfy my alpine craving. Then I watched the weather. And each day, the weather forecast got a little bit worse. And a little bit worse. And it was going to rain. And it was going to snow. It was going to rain and snow and be really cold. And it kept changing right up until the day that I had to decide, am I leaving today or not? In fact, you were talking to our two youngest boys about going on this backpacking trip, and they had packed for going with you on this backpacking trip. But when they went to school that morning, you still hadn't decided if the trip was a go or not. And our two youngest boys left for school wondering what was going to happen that afternoon. And I just, I could almost feel the tension and the butterflies that they had probably all day wondering, you know, when I come home, are we taking off on an epic backpacking adventure? Or am I going to have to do homework (laughs) and have life as usual? I drove them to school in the rain and I told them, I'll come pick you up after school. I don't know if we're going to California or not, but I'll pick you up after school and I'll let you know. And I spent the rest of the morning looking at the weather forecast and agonizing over whether to go. Yeah, and I was not a silent partner in all of this. I offered suggestions. One of my suggestions was to take our boys on a Seattle adventure and do some of the hikes that Josh had done when he was their age and kind of relive those glory days, and maybe even do a day in Seattle. And, you know, and then if it did rain, they could still have a home base in Seattle. Josh's family lives in that area. So it would, it would be a good trip. But that idea was kind of shot down rather quickly, because Josh really did want an alpine experience. And some miles with my backpack on. (laughs) And some miles, not just day hikes. Even though you can get a lot from day hikes, I think he just wanted to put on his pack and go. Another option was to postpone a week. But I had cleared my schedule of all meetings for work months in advance. And the following week, I had a bunch of meetings set up for work. So I thought about it. I thought, maybe I'll move all of those meetings but I just didn't have the heart to go to work that week either <laughs> because I, I had been anticipating the week off for so long and I had been working extra hard the first couple of weeks of September so that I could take the time off. Well, at about 11 o'clock that morning, I got so worn out looking at the data and trying to figure out the forecast 
and I said, I am done doing this. I am going on the trip. It might rain, it might snow, and I'll just be flexible. And if the weather pushes us out, we'll let it push us out. I'll be safe. But I am so tired of trying to decide. So decision made, I'm going. So about four hours later, I picked up the kids and we went. And you know what? We had an amazing trip. The weather turned out fine. And I'm so glad that I made the decision to go. Because even if the weather hadn't turned out fine, I know we would have seen some beautiful parts of the country that I'd never seen before. And I would have had a great time with our two sons. So either way, it was going to be a win. But the experience we had was exactly what I was craving. Here's some audio that I recorded on the trail. Our afternoon at the lake was amazing. I think you guys had the most fun with the frogs, huh? Oh, speed demon squirrel. Or was he a chipmunk? I don't know, but he wasn't very afraid of us either. Up here, the distinction between the white trinities and the red trinities is really obvious. The path that we're on right now is in the white trinities. We're on this uh, really white granite. And then as we look ahead of us, we see two different mountains that are red trinities that have that reddish, uh, I guess, the high iron content in their rocks. So there's a, a peak off to the right that's really red, and a peak to our left that's really red as well. We haven't really seen the green trinities from this part of the Trinity Alps, but we have seen little bits of green rock here and there. I can imagine what it might be like to see an entire peak that is that color. Well, the weather was amazing up at the lake. It was mostly sunny with a few white clouds rolling through. And then a little later we had uh, just the wispy cloud layer up in the blue sky. Really beautiful. It's about 3 p.m. now and we're starting to head back down to Foster's cabin. And as we're leaving, some thicker clouds have rolled in. It's sort of partly sunny at the moment where we are, but it got pretty gray up at the lake. So we'll see what happens. There might be some more precipitation tonight, or it might just blow over. But after looking at the forecast for this week, I'm really glad I didn't cancel this trip. So as is tradition, after every trip that we take, we do a top five list of the things that we loved about the hike we went on. And since I didn't go, I'm going to turn this over to Josh and the boys. I took our two youngest kids, a fourth grader and a seventh grader. They got to skip school for three days and come with me on the trip. So we brought them in and have asked them to share their top five favorites from this trip. Okay, what was number one on your list that you loved about this mm. trip? I liked leaving after school because it was nice knowing that I would be able to skip school for three days. And my second one is um, that there was a creek by the cabin. It was really cool. It was cold, so when we got water for drinking, the water was cold. It was really nice about maybe 15 feet away from the cabin, and we could just dunk our water bottles right into this tiny creek, bring them back inside, swish the steripan around for a minute, and we had great, clean, fresh, cold water. And number three is Horseshoe Lake. It was really fun going there, and I felt like it wasn't too hard going there and coming back. We gained a couple thousand feet climbing up to Horseshoe Lake. Got pretty steep towards the end. 
Yeah, it was pr- probably more like mountaineering instead of hiking. Lots of rocks up there. But once we got up there, what was it like? It was like... It felt more fresh, even though there was less air. It felt crisp and natural and fresh. Like, you just felt like you were in nature. But one thing that kind of distracted me was there was an uh, an airplane mark in the sky. Yeah, the, the one thing that clued us into the fact that uh, civilization was still not too far away was that trail that jets leave. Just one trail that a jet had left as it flew by. Everything else, though, it, it was like we were in an area where no one had ever been. It was amazing. Um, third on my list is stopping at the bridge on the hike back from the cabin. And it was really fun throwing logs off and rocks. The Swift Creek Trailhead serves two trails. They're together for a mile, and then they split into two trails at that point. And we took the trail less traveled, a total of five miles up to the cabin, and then another four miles up to Horseshoe Lake. And we saw one, two, three, four, five, six people the whole time we were out on that trail. The other trail uh, headed five miles up to Granite Lake, and that's where the bridge was, was right at the start of that trail. And we were there for about an hour and saw 21 hikers, no, 21 backpackers coming by over that bridge on their way to Granite Lake in the course of an hour. But while they were all hiking by during that hour, uh, you were on top of the bridge throwing rocks into the creek. And logs. And logs, yeah. That bridge was really high up there. How high do you think it was? Mm, Maybe like a two or three story building. Yeah. Yeah, probably 30 30 feet or so. You could make a real splash with those rocks. And fifth on my list is getting home from the trip and going right to bed. Nice. Sleep in a bed with a mattress and, like, a blanket and a pillow. Your bed at home always feels so nice after Mm -hmm. you get back from a backpacking trip, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And the food. It, like... It just looks fancy because... Because backpacking food is kind of different. Yeah. Would you want to go to the Trinity Alps again sometime? Yeah. Okay, so our seventh grader, what's on your list? What were the top five things that you loved about this trip? For number one, I had rocks. The rocks there were just amazing. There was lots of granite and there was lots of um, iron and there were lots of cool designs that were in the granite. And so... It was kind of cool to see all the cool rocks. The Trinity Alps are known for three colors. There's the white trinities, the red trinities, and the green trinities. We saw a little bit of green rock on our hike, but we definitely saw the white trinities and the red trinities. It was really cool. Horseshoe Lake was... Where was Horseshoe Lake? It was in the white trinities. And from Horseshoe Lake, we could look out and see a couple of really red peaks. Number two on my list is the cabin. In the cabin, there were these beds that had, they weren't the best beds, they were just wooden blocks that were used to store things, but you could tell they had hinges, and you could open it up, and it had these tools inside of it that people could use. It was for the California Snow Survey people, and it was cool to see what they used. Another thing that I liked about the cabin was the windows. The windows were sort of retro The one there was put between wood 
and there was no plastic. There was also a sink that um, you had to actually get a bucket of water and connect the uh, pipes. And then there was a wood stove. Not made of wood. You put wood in it. <laughs> yeah. And so that heated up the cabin. So that was nice to have. We also had some cabin mates. Remember them? Yes. Our cabin mates were friendly little creatures about two to three inches tall, more commonly known as mice. Yeah, so we had fun showing them the door. <laughs> I think it took us maybe 10 or 15 minutes to uh, get the mice out. I think maybe, what, four mice? I would say there were four to six mice. And so we tried to get them to come out of this box that they had gotten into that they were living in and to scurry across the floor and head out the front door. As far as I know, we got them all because I didn't hear them at night, did you? Well, they were trying to get in through the window. But one thing that was really funny about that was when I got the broom and I kind of tried to brush it away, it would jump and fly like three feet, sometimes hit the door. And so that was kind of funny. <laughs> well, they're probably a little surprised to see these uh, bright lights shining in their eyes, chasing them with brooms. Probably not something that you see normally in nature. Yeah. Third on my top five list is snow. There was very little snow, but when we went outside, we could still see the snow, even though it was a very thin layer. So I managed to put together maybe three very small snowballs. Hey, at least you were able to go back to school the next week and tell your friends that you'd had a snowball fight in September. Fourth on my top five list is pine cones. It seems oddly specific, but there were lots of different species of pine cones and my favorite one was one that just looked like frosted flakes that were green. And the dry ones, you could just twist it, and it would all just fall apart. And they smelled the best out of all the pine cones. And then we had the classic pine cones, the ones that you might see as a decoration in someone's home. And then the, there was another type of pine cone that I think they were the same ones as those classic pine cones, but they were younger. They hadn't matured. What were those ones like? They were very dense compared to the pine cone that you normally see that's dry and brown. They were green and dense and very, very pokey. Like, holding it was painful. And fifth on my top five list was firewood. We went out into the forest to chop some wood, and the log that I was chopping, it was nearby a hornet's nest in the ground. So a hornet was flying by, and it flew up my hair, and I tried, like, whacking it out, and it stung me and then flew out. Ouch. So then we relocated you to a different spot to finish chopping that log. And later in the day, I went back to that spot, and I grabbed the log that I was chopping, and I just snapped it in half and brought it over. In addition to the firewood that you gathered for our own fire, you guys were also gathering some additional firewood, right? Yeah. So the snow survey people, they left up a sign that says not to use their wood because it's very hard for them to find dry wood that isn't hidden in hard-to-reach crevices. And they're not allowed to just go up to a tree and snap off a branch because it's a wilderness area. So right now, when everything was still dry, we got lots of wood and put it on the pile. We maybe doubled the pile size. So the snow surveyors will be really happy come January and they'll see a nice enlarged pile of firewood. And it was really easy for us because we were just surrounded by all this dry wood and we could easily just go right out the front door, look on the ground and pick up a stick that was two feet away. 
Well, do you think it was worth skipping three days of school to go on this trip to the Trinities? Yeah, for sure. Well, there's so many more trails to explore, so many more lakes and high alpine areas. We just barely scratched the surface of the Trinities. So, yeah, I hope we can get back there again sometime with the whole family and uh, maybe spend a little longer and hike a little further and see some more areas there. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, for going with me on the trip. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing a piece of gear that Josh took on the trail. It's the Human Gear Go Bites Duo. And the Go Bites Duo is part of a trinity, I suppose. <laughs> well, while we're on the theme. <laughs> while we're on the theme. They have the Uno, the Duo, and the Trio. And the Duo is an eating utensil. It's not a spork, but it's actually a spoon and a fork two separate and distinct utensils that slide together securely so you have the option of using one or both. The GoBytes Duo is made of super durable nylon, so it is not just your average plastic spoon. The Duo is FDA food safe. It's 100% BPA, PC, and phthalate free. For utility, the Human Gear GoBytes Duo is two pieces a fork, and a spoon. Each utensil has a handle that's about three and a half inches long, and then the spoon bowl or the, the fork part is another inch and a half, I guess. So all by themselves, the spoon is a nice spoon and the fork is a nice fork. But the killer feature about these is how they can be connected. They've just come up with this ingenious design where you can slide the fork handle onto the spoon handle and they sort of click together and become one utensil. And what I love about that is when you need to dig deep down into those freeze-dried meal pouches to get everything stirred up, well now you have a long-handled spoon that's nine inches long. But when you're done, you can pull them back apart and you can nest them with each other. So if you turn the fork around so that they're not end-to-end, -end, but they're... how would you say it? Spooned. Spooned, okay. And then you can slip the fork behind the spoon handle. Again, they click together and they're now stored as a spoon and fork nestled right together for storage about six inches long. And together they only weigh 0.8 ounces or 24 grams. For maintenance, the GoBytes Duo is top rack dishwasher safe. So while you're on the trail, you can just probably lick them clean and they will be just fine. That's all I did. For investment, you can get a set of these for $7.50, and they do come with a lifetime warranty. For trial, one of the great features about the fork is that the tines of the fork are actually functional. They're not merely decorative or suggestive of forkiness. They actually pierce food, and they're very strong. On our Trinity Alps trip, the boys and I were testing out some meals from Wise Foods. They have an organic line that's a little higher quality than their really inexpensive stuff. And we weren't quite following the directions. You were supposed to cook up this, uh, this cheddar broccoli soup and simmer it for a while. And we didn't do that. We just added boiling water to the pouch and let it sit for a while. And it rehydrated, but the amount of water that it called for was way too much for the method that we used. So we had a really soupy soup, a really watery soup. And uh, with a shallow spoon, it took a pretty frequent uh, dipping of the spoon into the soup <laughs> to, to get through the soup. But it was certainly doable. 
The shape of the spoon, also the outline of the bowl of the spoon, uh, I think with most spoons it's elliptical. This one is a little different than elliptical. I'm not sure quite how we would explain it. Hexagonal. Kind of hexagonal, yeah. rounded hexagonal, something like that. To me, those those rounded points that stick out on the hexagon, um, after a while they did start to bother my lips a little bit. I think I, I would have preferred just a, um, a pure elliptical shape. Uh, but I, I agree that the overall curvature of the spoon really fits well with the mouth. We've talked about Human Gear on the show before. They're an incredibly innovative company. They've won design awards. Uh, they call this their civilized travel utensil. So even if you're out in the backcountry, you can still have a little bit of civilization with you. Oh, and one more thing I forgot to mention. The duo comes in gray, blue, and red. When I was getting ready for our Trinity Alps trip, I went into our backpacking room. I don't know if we've mentioned this before. <laughs> our backpacking shelves in the garage have migrated, and they now have their own room in the house. They do. And in that room, on those shelves, there's a bin full of cooking and eating utensils. It has a bunch of pots and pans, and a bazillion different forks and spoons and sporks and other kinds of eating tools. And so... Preparing for this trip, I sat down with that bin and I rummaged through it and thought, yeah, what am I going to take this time? Well, I know I'm going to have dehydrated meals, so maybe I need to bring that long titanium spoon. But the long titanium spoon might be a little awkward for me to eat with once I've stirred up my freeze-dried meal. So maybe I need a regular spoon too. And then, of course, that leaves me without a fork. So I'll throw in a fork too. And then I saw the Human Gear Duo. And they were just nestled with each other. I thought, okay, that's cute. A fork and a spoon, nice and convenient. But then I discovered that you could turn them around end to end and make that combined utensil, which is now a long-handled spoon. And so I was sold. I said, okay, that's the one I'm taking on this trip. It gives me the long-handled spoon for stirring up my freeze-dried meal. And then I can take it apart. And it gives me just a regular normal spoon for eating the meal. So if you're interested in checking out the Human Gear Go Bites Duo, we will have the link in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 153. For today's backpack hack of the week, testing your inflatable pad for leaks. We got a new sleeping pad for testing, and so I brought it on this trip to test it out. And unfortunately, I had a gear fail. So I'm really glad we were in a cabin where it wasn't nearly as cold as I was planning on for this trip. We had a fire going all through the night. But this sleeping pad that I was testing, a great thing about it is it only took 10 breaths to blow it up completely. But then while I was laying on it, over the course of a few hours, it lost about three breaths worth of air. Well, that's 30% of the air in the pad. And if you try that out with an air mattress, by the time you've taken out 30% of the air, you're just laying on the ground. There's no air mattress left between you and the ground. We contacted the manufacturer. They've already sent a new pad out to replace it. We'll be sending this one in so that they can check it out and see what went wrong. But before we sent it in, we wanted to figure out where the leak was. And this is where the hack comes in. Fill your bathtub with about four inches of water and put as much of the pad in it as you can when I tested our pad for leaks, I kind of did it by thirds. I started on the bottom third of the pad, so I pressed down on it and watched for any bubbles. And then I went to the middle third, 
and then I went to the end third, and then I flipped the pad over and did the same thing. I started at the bottom, tested out the middle, and then on the very last part that I was testing, I finally saw tiny little bubbles coming up through the valve. It was actually a valve failure that was causing the leak on this pad, but the bubbles were very apparent. So it was an easy way to test leakage on this pad. And it's something that if you're camped near some water, something you could probably test on the trail. And as a bonus tip, test the valve first. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how often valves go bad. I mean, I would assume that it would be some small puncture or, you know, weak spot in the welding on the pad that would go bad first. But I suppose a valve, if it's faulty, it would be faulty on the very first time you use it. I can't imagine it becoming faulty over time. I suppose it could get some dirt in there oh, and true. that could cause it to become faulty. But this one was such a slow leak. Yeah, it was apparent right on the first night that I slept on the pad. Yeah, how would you take care of that? It seems like there should be some kind of little hack that we could come up with, like perhaps a plastic bag and some strategically placed duct tape. If anyone has done that before or has some ideas on how to treat a valve failure on a sleeping pad, uh, head over to Facebook or Twitter and let us know. Yeah, or even folding it down, you know, folding the pad down like a bag of chips and kind of uh, making it so the air doesn't get past a certain point. You would have a shortened pad, but you would be able to stop the leak. Did that yeah. make sense? <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it would have stopped this slow leak that I had. Like just a little bit of air getting past the fold yeah. would be enough to get out of the valve as well. Peanut butter, duct tape, I don't know. Sap? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, there was plenty of sap in the Trinities. <laughs> Well, we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Arnold Bennett. This guy sounds fascinating. He was an English writer, and he wrote a book called How to Live on 24 Hours a Day that I really would love to read. We all have 24 hours a day. Yeah. But, but yeah, we struggle to live on it. Yeah, one of the quotes from that book, which is actually not the quote of the day today, but he said... Which of us has not been saying to himself all his life, I shall alter that when I have a little more time. We never shall have any more time. We have and have always had all the time there is. Brilliant, hmm. huh? Yeah. I love this guy. Anyway, he said, it's easier to go down a hill than up it, but the view is much better at the top. After my week in the Trinities, I can vouch for that. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. to the end of the trail here. We just saw the Trinity Alps Wilderness sign that is just a couple hundred feet in from the parking lot. So we're really close. 
We've been slowing down the pace a little. <laughs> well, that other way there, uh, maybe it used to be the trail, but there's a sign right here that says the trail goes the way we're going. So they probably moved the trail at some point. It could be there was a washout down there and they had to move the trail around. Anyway, so we are just uh, probably within shouting distance of the parking lot. The pace slowed down a little bit here at the end, but we are almost there.